I wish I, <clears throat> excuse me, I wish I knew this woman's name. I wish I knew more about her life and her family. All we know is that she was a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile living in the region of Tyre. Tyre was a city along the Mediterranean Sea, some 40 miles northwest of Nazareth. The people in this area were originally known as Canaanites, then later as Phoenicians, after the Greek word for purple and a dye that they had developed from a sea mollusk. This was also the area where Elijah was fed by a widow in a town about 15 miles further north. And it was the king of Tyre, King Hiram, who had offered cedar trees to David and Solomon for building their palaces and the temple. So this was a place that was well known to Jewish people of that time. Now Jesus went there to find some rest from the crowds and a break from the hostility and the scrutiny he was experiencing from the authorities. King Herod had just killed John the Baptist. And some Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem had been pestering Jesus about why his disciples were not washing their hands and utensils properly. Meanwhile, the people kept flocking to Jesus, hungry for hope, hungry for food, hungry for healing. Just a bit earlier, Jesus had tried to get away with his disciples for some rest, but the crowds had followed him, over 5,000 of them. Then he crossed the lake, and still the people came. This time, Mark reports that when the people recognized Jesus, they rushed about the whole region and brought those who were sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. Wherever he went, Mark says, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched were healed. So when Jesus went to Tyre, he was seeking a safer, quieter place where he could escape notice. As verse 24 emphasized, he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know he was there. But now here was this woman, this Gentile woman, who dared to enter the private home where they were staying. In Matthew, she is described as shouting after Jesus, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But here in Mark, she came right into their midst and bowed down at his feet, much like Jairus had done earlier in chapter 5. But Jairus at least had come to Jesus in public. This woman dared to trespass on their personal space, to come right into the room. And she was a woman and a Gentile at that. How dare she? This was unheard of. As commentator Ched Myers explains, no woman, and especially a Gentile, who didn't know and was unrelated to this Jew would have dared invade his privacy at home to seek a favor. Mary Talbot also notes that in honorable families, it was the responsibility of the father or another male relative to provide for the protection and care of the family. Perhaps this woman was a widow. Perhaps she was so alone that she had no male relatives to turn to. Whatever the case, she was clearly stepping out of line and breaking the rules which govern proper female behavior. Even so, 
It is troubling that Jesus at first tried to turn her away. She may have been forward and brash, but Jesus doesn't normally respond this way. Usually, he responds with compassion and understanding no matter what the situation is. So why did he try to refuse her request? Was he just really, really tired? After all, he was human and had tried so hard to find a quiet place to be alone with his friends. Or was he testing her resolve, testing her faith? Or did he have a twinkle in his eye and all of this was a joke that we can no longer understand? But rather than focusing on Jesus' initial response, I have been drawn to thinking more about this woman. What gave her such courage? What drove her to move out of her comfort zone, to go after Jesus like this, and to speak up so boldly? Perhaps her actions are not so surprising. After all, she did this for her daughter, her little girl that was possessed by an unclean spirit. Like a, mother, like a mother bear, she would do anything for her child and had no doubt tried so many other ways to find healing, to find wholeness for this young girl. Still, this must have taken enormous courage and guts. Rather than waiting outside in the shadows patiently or getting in line outside the door, as she and so many women are trained to do, she had to make herself visible. She had to make herself noticed, a spectacle for all in the house to see. I can only imagine how difficult this must have been for her. As an ethnic European woman, I know how hard it is to stand out in a group or to speak up, especially when you haven't been asked or given permission. And then Jesus tried to turn her away. I wonder if she had prepared herself for this. Had she rehearsed what she would say or do if this were to happen? It must have felt so humiliating. I can only imagine her wanting to run away and hide, hoping that no one in the neighborhood had noticed. But here again, this woman is amazing. She answered back. She took Jesus' words and made a stunning response. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This is quite unusual. As one commentator notes, Jesus is often seen arguing with those in power and winning the dispute with a snappy saying. In this story alone, the snappy comeback is not made by Jesus but by this unnamed foreign Gentile woman. Again, I have to admire her courage, her boldness, her persistence, and her quick thinking. And Jesus honored her. He honored her persistence and forthrightness. So often I think we fear that God might punish us for being honest, for questioning, for sharing our deepest feelings and thoughts. But this is okay with God. Jesus actually granted her request because of what she said. As verse 29 records, Jesus told her, for saying that, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. But there is more 
in, this, in these passages. Jesus' next healing is also in Gentile territory, when he restored hearing and speech to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. In the context of Mark's gospel, this seems to be especially symbolic. Jesus had just been arguing with the Pharisees and scribes, telling them pointedly that they claim to honor God and yet have trouble following God's will. The disciples, too, are described as struggling to understand Jesus' example and teaching. But in this passage, these two Gentiles symbolize those whose ears have been opened, those who can speak with understanding. They are not the ones we would expect. But as the passage in James reminded us, God chose the poor in the world to be rich in faith. So we need to remember that those who hear and understand may be the ones we least expect. Even without names, they are the ones who might point the way, the ones who may challenge us to faith and action. Jesus, Jesus then went on to teach and feed another large crowd, this time more than 4,000 people. Many scholars see this event as parallel to the feeding of the 5,000 men recorded in Mark 6. But this time, the setting is in Gentile territory. So there are two feedings, one for, Gentiles, uh, one for Jews and one for Gentiles. The numbers bear this out, again, with much symbolic meaning. In the first event, the numbers 5 and 12 are highlighted, likely pointing to the five books of Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel. In the second, the numbers are four and seven. Some note that the number four can refer to the four winds or the four corners of the earth, thus encompassing the whole world. And seven is a symbol of completeness and the seven days of creation. So this miracle affirms and demonstrates clearly that God loves the whole world and God desires that all be fed and satisfied. The Greek word for being fed or filled also means to be satisfied and is used in both feeding stories. In both cases, we are told that all ate and were filled. Interestingly, this is also the word Jesus used when he first told the woman, let the children be fed first. Let them be filled first. Jesus had just fed a large Jewish crowd, and one wonders if he felt that there were just too many more of them to feed and satisfy before he could offer this to Gentiles. But then this woman came begging for help, and Jesus showed that her request didn't have to wait. He could heal this Gentile woman's little girl. He could heal the man who was deaf and couldn't speak. And he could care for a multitude of Gentiles. Clearly, in these stories, he wanted to affirm that there is enough for all. His message, his love, could feed and satisfy the Gentiles even now, just as he had earlier satisfied the crowd of 5,000 Jews. And they did not have to settle for leftover crumbs. They could eat and be filled, and there would still be seven baskets left over. Did this bold woman push Jesus forward in this ministry to Gentiles? Perhaps, perhaps not. Certainly, Jesus was headed in this direction. After all, he had earlier healed the Gentile man in the tombs who was possessed by demons. But now in these accounts, the message became loud and clear. God's love includes everyone, 
God desires that all be fed and all be whole. This is truly a comforting message. God's love includes me, my family, my community. God truly wants to offer us all healing and wholeness, and there is enough in God's economy to feed all God's children. But this love also includes those I find hard to love, those with whom I disagree, those whom my nation or my ethnic group would like to keep on the outside. This, of course, can feel threatening and challenging to the powers that be who want us to believe that there is only enough for some, only enough for those who are like me or those who are deserving of help or those who do things the right way or my way. But of course we know this is not God's way. As this woman's experience shows, we all have the right to come to God and ask for help. She also reminds us that we may need to take risks and speak up boldly, that it is good to care deeply and passionately and allow ourselves to step forward out of our comfort zones in order to seek help and answers. And God will honor such love, such passion, such honesty. Her story reminds me of the t-shirts made some years ago by Mennonite Church USA Peace and Justice staff that said, peace takes guts. These t-shirts or the saying was meant to express very clearly that peace is not timid or resigned, but strong and active, daring and courageous like this woman. I also had to think of some of the women who've worked so hard for the children in our country and in their, in their communities. Many of us have heard of Cesar Chavez, but it's been only recently that I learned of Dolores Huerta, the woman who worked with him in forming the United Farm Workers. She had been a school teacher, but couldn't bear to see the children come to class hungry and needing shoes. So she decided she needed to help organize the workers and became very active in that long-running nonviolent campaign to obtain better wages for these farm workers, health and disability insurance, and improve working conditions such as minimizing the use of pesticides. Even in her later years, she remained concerned about the children. In a 2004 interview with Vincent Harding, she described how farm worker children she had met in Michigan were ashamed to say that they were farm workers or that their parents are farm workers. That's got to end, she said. We have to get farm workers the same types of benefits, the same types of wages, the respect that they deserve because they do the most sacred work of all. They feed our nation every day. Of course, Dolores Suerta is an exceptional example, but there are many others all around us. Many are here in our congregation, and I want to express how much I am challenged and encouraged by so many of you and by your compassion, strength, and generosity. Corporately, we are also involved in sharing God's love with others in many ways, through sharing meals, low-cost housing, as well as contributions and service, both locally and around the world. But might God be nudging us to something more? What is still crying out to us in our community, in our world, for healing? Who is being excluded? Who is being fed the leftover crumbs? Where might God be calling us to go? 
Are there barriers we need to cross? Religious practices or public policies we need to question or, think, or rethink. Ways that we need to step forward more boldly. This journey can be scary. We may need to take risks we hadn't expected. And we may do this for others, or we may need to seek healing for ourselves. No matter what, we know we can go to God, trusting in God's deep, abundant love. Just as Jesus honored and gave healing to the Syrophoenician woman from Tyre, we can trust that God also wants to heal us, to bring release and wholeness to our families, our community, our world. Again, I wish we knew this woman's name. But even without that, we have her story and her example. May her courage continue to inspire and encourage us. Amen.